Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode is brought to you by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo, to shift the food industry and empower their community and our listeners to make better informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good. And that is why we are teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% or 15% off for military, teachers, students, first responders, doctors, and nurses. Go to podgo.co slash kind. That's podgo.co slash kind. Kind Bar, creating a kinder and healthier world, one act, one snack at a time. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm sleepy. Same. But yeah, I'm only a few sips into my first coffee. I've just refilled it twice, like topped it off, so I probably mm-hmm. had like half a cup. Yeah. Now, are you drinking hot coffee? Yes. Are you a hot coffee primarily person, or are you like a seasonal weather temperature coffee drinker? Back when I was using the Nespresso machine, I would strictly have iced coffee. Okay. And it'd be an iced Americano. And now that I have... A multi-cup brewer, I just drink it hot. It's faster. It's faster, and it usually helps with my throat, because I usually have a bunch of gunk in my throat from... That's true, in the morning. From sleeping and draining and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Because winter. Because winter. Because I'm a delicate flower. Yeah. So, we're actually going to be discussing... A local story. And by local, I mean in the United States. So I don't have to fuck up any city names or places or anything. So I am pumped. So. What are you talking about? It's local. It's local. We are going to be talking about Nellie Bly and Blackwell's Island Asylum. Ooh. We haven't done an asylum since like the first episode. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's been a hot second. Wow. And you were so nervous about that first episode. I was like, it's only been 35 episodes. Maybe we should try it again. (laughs) Well, honestly, I just remember you just had to pick like the biggest asylum topic. Mm -hmm. It was such a cool thing. All right. So this asylum is on an island. Yep. Where? We'll get to it. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 biography article 2019 Washington Post article by Diane Bernard, 2017 National Women's History Museum article by Arlisha R. Norwood, Asylum Projects website, Britannica website, Library of Congress, and Nellie's book, 10 Days in a Madhouse. She made a book? Yep. All right. So this is a 10-day long story. Yep. This is one of like several books she published. Way to ruin the surprise, Nelly. Ten days in this asylum. I wonder uh, what this is about. I actually read the book. It's a good book. And fun, yeah. fun fact, it was actually on my super long to-be-read list for a while. So I was like, I could finally read this. Yeah. It was only well, awesome that you got to do some like fun reading on top of the research today. Yeah. It was only 100 pages, so it was a pretty quick read. Mm. Yep. 
And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. All right, let's dive in. What's wrong with Nellie? Why she got to be this way? Why she got to be in an asylum in 10 days? All right. Why is she on an island? Why is she on an island? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me other things. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful if our podcast just t- turned into me aggressively asking questions about your <laughs> instead of you just like calmly saying <laughs> And then I can't say anything and I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> the famed investigative journalist that would go on to be known by the moniker of Nellie Bly was in fact born Elizabeth Jane Cochran in Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania, on May 5th, 1864. If the town name sounds familiar, because her father, Michael Cochran, founded it and worked as a landowner and a judge. Dang, so she came from money. Uh, landowner and a judge? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have money? What's he doing wrong? Oh, I suppose he does have money. It's just like, he founded a town. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> this dirt pile is mine. It's <laughs> just a poor man's village. Back up, haters. Michael needed to work hard to provide for his enormous brood of children. Mm. Okay, that's why he's broke. Got it, got it, got it. See, he and Elizabeth's mother, Mary Jane, got married following the deaths of their first spouses. Michael entered the marriage with ten children of his own with his first wife. I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. And he would go on to have five more with Mary, one of which being Elizabeth herself. Did her mom have any previous children? No. Wow. Okay. So for those counting at home, that's 15 children. That's um, pretty messed up Brady Bunch. That's like a TLC Brady Bunch. Yeah. True life. My dad founded a town and then had a million children mm-hmm. to inhabit the town. <laughs> we are the town. The town is, is just them. <laughs> it's a town of the Cochrans. We are the town. So when she was six, Elizabeth's father died quite suddenly in 1870, leaving his family in a rather sticky situation since he hadn't written a will. Of course not. He's like a judge. Why would he? Right. <laughs> Why would he think about that? I read that and I was like, you dumbass. Right? In the world of like all of the illnesses and none of the vaccines. Yep. Great. And without a will, the family had no legal claim to his estate and any money that would have come with it. Oh, shit. Yep. That's why wills are important. Wow. I forget what it's called. I think it's like livingwill.com. I did that myself and got that done. I'm going to be a tree when I die, bitch. <laughs> Same Z's. I love how we're just like converting people left, right, and center to become trees after they die. Well, it's just so cool. And then we can all hang out as ghosts in a haunted forest. Like, that doesn't sound good to you? I'm sorry. And then how hilarious would it be if you were a fruit tree and then you'd see people eat your fruit and you were like, ha, 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 there's dead bodies in that. There's a dead body in that grapefruit. (laughs) Enjoy. Eat me. You're now a cannibal. (laughs) LOL, LOL, Elizabeth later enrolled at Indiana State Normal School in Indiana, Pennsylvania. So for those of you that don't know what normal school means, it basically just means it's not a trade school. So like, it's not a school you would go to to learn a specific trade. But yeah, it's it sounds really weird. Normal school. <laughs> for normies. How did she go from normal school to asylum? Find out. <laughs> so it's a small school where she studied to become a teacher. Huh. And things being what they were, Elizabeth had to table her dreams of higher education due to finances and Mm -hmm. soon after moved with her mother to Pittsburgh, where they both ran a boarding house. Okay. Interesting. I wonder how they got the money to to buy the boarding house and stuff. I don't know. Hmm. Scrappy. Yeah. The 1880s brought with it a spot of hope when Elizabeth, now 21, submitted a fiery response to an editorial that had been written in the Pittsburgh Dispatch. The piece, entitled What Girls Are Good For, written by Erasmus Wilson, claimed that working women were, quote, a monstrosity, and that they would best be served by performing domestic duties instead. He seems fun. Yeah. I love that ass is in his name. Yeah. Because he is one. Yeah. Elizabeth, furious by Wilson's write-up, wrote a scathing response that grabbed the attention of the dispatch's managing editor, George Madden, who immediately offered her a job. Awesome. Elizabeth, who worked under the pen name of Nellie Bly, which she took from a Stephen Foster song, started work as a reporter for the Pittsburgh Dispatch in 1885 at a rate of $5 a week, 
or $146 a week today, which would be not a lot, just over $580 a month. Yeah, you can't live in a city with that. Yeah. So cost of living was the thing. So because she's a woman, not a whole lot. Yeah. So I'm going to call her Nellie from this point forward. Yeah. Nellie worked to highlight negative issues and ideologies against women and women's rights. Some of her first articles were on slum life, and she became famous for her undercover and investigative journalism, such as when she posed as a sweatshop worker to expose the awful working conditions of women in Pittsburgh. Hmm. In 1886 and 1887, at the age of 22, she was given a rare opportunity traveling through Mexico for several months, during which she sent back articles on the condition of the poor and political corruption under dictator Porfirio Diaz. Her critical articles understandably angered the officials in Mexico, and she was expelled from the country. It makes sense. These works were later published in 1888 in a collection entitled Six Months in Mexico. She's really catchy with her titles, man. Mm-hmm. Very literal. I was in asylum for 10 days. She, she was like the original YouTuber. Clickbait. Yep. Six Months in Mexico. <laughs> Click now. Also, HelloFresh. <laughs> Harry's Razors. <laughs> Regardless of the work she did, she soon ended her relationship with the Pittsburgh Dispatch after the editors decided to place her on the women's page because they wanted her to only cover stories that affected women. Cool. So I wonder if her original boss must have like retired or something. Or if people were like, a woman can't cover such, you know, racy material. Yeah, probably. Put her in her place. Gross. She had set her sights higher, and it wouldn't be long before she'd be taking the world by storm. Awesome. At the age of 23, Nellie moved to New York City in 1887, where she began work at the New York World, a paper that in later mm. years became famous for its quote-unquote yellow journalism, which is basically journalism based on crude exaggeration and sensationalism. Ah, so she was, what, what are those called? Um, like the paparazzi magazines. Oh, like the sun and... Yeah. Yeah. I forget what those are called. Tabloids? Mm. Tabloids. So she was a part of the, the first tabloids then. Yes. Like Bat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like, Bat Boy's first date. That's <laughs> how it went. Is she a vampire now? Aliens visit the White House. Right. What the Clintons fed them. Right. <laughs> Bread. Bread and cheese. Just bread. Locally sourced. She brought up the idea of writing an article on what immigrants face in the United States, but her editor, Joseph Pulitzer, had something else in mind. Wow. The Pulitzer? Yep. It's funny that he started with a tabloid. Yep. One of Nellie's first assignments was to investigate the conditions of the infamous insane asylum of Blackwell Island, which is now known as Roosevelt uh -huh. Island. Okay. To get an accurate picture of what the patients there suffered, Nellie pretended to be insane in order to have herself committed. It wouldn't have been hard being a woman at that time. Nope. You really don't have to try. I have so many periods and they're like, oh my God, you're insane. <laughs> get on the boat. I, I want sex and I'm not married. You're insane. I'm sad today. Hysteria. <laughs> I like to read. Oh my God. <laughs> Can I have books in public? So before I go more into what Nellie endured, I'm going to tell you the history of Blackwell Island itself, yeah. just to give you some context. Sounds good. So the asylum was the first to be built in New York City, as well as the first mental hospital in the country. Oh. The asylum itself was part of a complex of buildings located on the island. New York City became one of the largest urban cities in the country in the early 1800s, with a significant portion of its population consisting of immigrants that helped facilitate the industrialization of the city. Mm -hmm. New York also, unfortunately, had a rather large number of insane people who needed to be tended to. Prior to 1825, the insane were either kept in the city almshouse, which is a poorhouse run by a charity or a church, yeah. or at Bloomingdale Insane Asylum in Manhattan, which was actually a private hospital for the mentally ill that ran from 1821 to 1889. So you had to have money yeah. to get your family members in there. Yep. Like, it was one of those kind of, like, hush-hush type hush, places. Hush. Yeah. Yep. They're at, they're at normal school. <laughs> they're at normal school. They're at the normal Forever. hospital. Yeah, they're, they're taking all of the courses at normal mm -hmm. school. 
1825, the city's insane were relocated to the basement and first floor of the General Hospital on Blackwell's Island. Awesome. Just one of the many buildings on the island, which included a poorhouse and a prison. What a great mix. Right? You know, also, I I hear that people who are, uh, quote-unquote, insane, love not having sunlight. Yep. It's their favorite. It's good for their skin. Oh, they can't see outside ever? Cool. Cool, 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 cool. The sun is actually what makes them crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it is. Vitamin D, it kills. Fake news. Vitamin D, fake news. But they put that in the tabloid. Extra, extra, read all about it. The vitamin sun. D, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> actually causes insanity. <laughs> They'd be like, the next, one, the next article is vitamins. What is it? <laughs> Scurvy, we all have it. Right. The insane remained in those wretched conditions until 14 years later, when the city approved the construction of a separate hospital for the insane mm-hmm. in 1834. This hospital, which would soon be named Blackwell Insane Asylum, wouldn't be completed until 1839. Hmm. Okay. The asylum was built away from the other buildings on the island, allowing it to run autonomously and with few checks and balances. Perfect. That works every time. Yep. Not even a year after its opening, the conditions began to quickly deteriorate, and the hospital was soon plagued with overcrowding, underfunding, and scandals. Sounds about right. By 1840, the population of the asylum was at 278, and 30 years later, in 1870, that number would swell to 1,300 without any additions or improvements to the building being made during that time. Sounds about right. As you can imagine, this caused a number of issues for the patients, the least of which being neglect. And it wasn't uncommon for disease outbreaks to take place, for the patients yep. to be underfed or fed poor quality food. And the hospitals also hired convicts from the nearby prison to work as attendants in an effort to cut costs. Cool. And let me guess, they didn't, they probably didn't prioritize minor crime people too. It was kind of just like whoever wants to, to work. Probably. Yeah. Oh, you committed familiacide? Please come over to Blackwell and take okay. care of all these women. Petty theft? No, thanks. We're fine. You stay where you're at, we'll sir. Stay in prison. Sir. Don't you steal the things we don't have? Yeah. Blackwell was visited in the 1840s by Charles Dickens and Thomas Story Kirkbride. Remember him? Wow, yeah. That's all the way back in episode one, fans. Dang. Okay. Both of which were saddened by the conditions of the hospital. It didn't do anything to change it. <laughs> yeah. This makes me sad. Bye. Yep. <laughs> Good luck, everyone else. Yep. Well, and actually, when both of them went and toured, you know, of course, they have to try to, like, clean the place up to make it seem like it's nicer yep. than it is. Pretend. But even with that, they were still like, this is super sad. Oh, like, right. this is awful. So. Wow. A fire destroyed part of the asylum in 1858, but it was quickly rebuilt, but of course not expanded upon. Yeah, why not? Finally, in 1866, so that's, what, 32 years after it was first built? Yeah. The hospital grew into more buildings, with three holding patients. There was the original building, which was still called the asylum, as well as the lodge, which was affectionately called the madhouse. Fun. And the retreat. The retreat? The retreat. So so the asylum, the madhouse, and the retreat. Yep. You know, gotta make it fun. <laughs> For night insanity. Yeah. For night you know, Low to moderate insanity. You know what can cure you? Not yoga. Rats. <laughs> <laughs> Vermin. That was such a pain laugh. I hate it. I wonder if, yeah, they probably have rats. But it's on an island, but they could go by boat. They probably have rats. I'm pretty sure rats find a way. Uh, mm-hmm. li- life finds a way. <laughs> right. They're like an island. Let's start swimming. I want to go to there. Sounds cool. The retreat was a three-story former workhouse that housed female patients when there was no more room for them in the main asylum. Yep, because it was probably mostly females in the insane asylum. Because the asylum had wings for both males and females, and of course, the number of women far outnumbered those of men. Yeah, you weren't allowed to have feelings back then. If you had feelings, you were insane. Yep. Yep. 
The lodge was where the violent cases and newly admitted patients were held. Once the new patients' dispositions could be determined, they would either stay at the lodge if they were violent or be moved to the main asylum or retreat if they were deemed safe enough to enter the rest of the population. Mm. In addition to these three buildings, there was a cookhouse where meals were made, which also held the laundry, an engine room that provided steam heat for the asylum. There was also a stable, blacksmith, carpenter shop, paint shop, and a dead house where they would put the bodies of the deceased. Wow, I love how literal they are. I know. What should we name this? I don't know, dead house? Sure. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds cool. Where's, where's my paint? <laughs> they painted it red. Dead <laughs> They just, they just paint in big block letters, dead yep. house, but they don't spell it right. It's D-E-D. Yep. <laughs> dead these, house. These backwards. <laughs> dead house. D-E-D house. And it's like dripping <laughs> in red. And they're like, see, it's funny because like they're dead in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> it was like they paint a crude arrow pointing to the door. Dead house. Right. We help vulnerable adults. Mm-hmm. In 1868, four one-story wooden buildings were completed that could house 70 patients each. So now knowing all of that, we'll get back to Nellie. And when did she get there? Like how? I'm going I'm to go into it right now. So okay. the last, so we left off with the last additions in 1868. And that's when the four buildings were yep. constructed. So yep. she goes in in 1887. Okay, so she's at, like, the most up-to-date. Yes. Asylum. Yes. Got it. Okay. So based on what I've told you so far, you can probably guess what con- conditions were like for Nellie at Blackwell. Yeah, probably trash, especially, like, 10 years after, 10, 15 years after they redid it. They mm-hmm. probably haven't touched it since. Well, and they've probably just added, they've probably already gone over capacity with what they've added. You know what yep. I mean? Actually, we'll get into it. So <laughs> I wrote it in my notes. Yeah. Nellie worked to prove her quote-unquote insanity in late September of 1887, which worked, unsurprisingly, and she was soon admitted to Blackwell along with several other women. So basically what she did is she went to go stay at a boarding house. And while she was there, she ba- she acted, you know, crazy. She didn't, yep. she didn't sleep the whole time she was there. The women mm-hmm. that she stayed with were like, fearing for their safety. One of them even had a nightmare that night that she was going to murder them. Awesome. So then the next day, the matron called the police and they came to take her to jail. And she like refused to go without the matron because, you know, she was like, I don't trust these men. Yeah. So they took her to the judge who was like, yep, you're crazy. But then he actually did something which was kind of weird, where he's like, you remind me of my sister, so make sure you treat her right, because I feel bad for her. So, But then they still shipped her off to this hospital where you stay prior to to being put on the boat to Blackwell. And this was when they still did, like, they'd open up all the windows to let in fresh air. Oh, yeah. And it's September, and it's, you know by the water and it's cold as fuck because you're in new york so they were like freezing cold they didn't give them a whole lot of clothes they gave them like a ratty blanket to keep them warm and yeah not fun awesome so by the time she was admitted to the asylum blackwell was housing more than 1600 people in a space originally meant to hold a thousand awesome Budget cuts also greatly reduced the number of staff, so there were only 16 doctors employed in 1887. So that was one doctor per 100 patients. Oh, man. Gosh, that's awful. So just in case you're still unsure, I'll read you some excerpts from her expose that was later published as a full book titled, unsurprisingly, 10 Days in a Madhouse in 1887. And here are just a few highlights. Quote, The tea tasted as if it had been made in copper. Bread was spread with rancid butter. When I requested a plain piece, it was hard with a dirty black color. I found a spider in my slice, so I did not eat it. There was a spider in the slice of bread that she changed out of. Yeah, because she didn't want the rancid butter, which was basically just like animal grease that had been left out to sit. Awesome. So she found a spider in her slice. The oatmeal and molasses served was wretched. The next day... 
She was served soup with one cold boiled potato and a chunk of beef, which on investigation proved to be slightly spoiled. End quote. Great. And I didn't include it, but at one point in the book, she did mention beef tea. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my God. How they served beef tea, and I cackled. Man. So it wasn't just this weird, obscure thing. It was an actual real thing. Yeah. That's that was common. Horrifying. Quote, the water was ice cold, and I again began to protest. The crazy woman began to scrub me. I was at last past seeing or speaking, although I had begged that my hair be left untouched. My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly, I got, one after the other, three buckets of water over my head, ice-cold water, too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced some of the sensations of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. They put me dripping wet into a short Canton flannel slip labeled across the extreme end in large black letters, Lunatic Asylum B-I-H-6. The letters meant Blackwell's Island Hall 6, end quote. Awful. Quote, here is a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck, end quote. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, anyone would break in those conditions. Mm -hmm. Quote, nearly all night long, I listened to a woman cry about the cold and beg for God to let her die. Another one yelled murder at frequent intervals and police at others until my flesh felt creepy. End quote. Not great. Quote, I made the acquaintance of Bridget McGinnis, who was sent to retreat for and put on the quote unquote rope gang. The beating I got there was were something dreadful. I was pulled around by the hair, held under the water until I strangled, and I was choked and kicked. The nurses would always keep a quiet patient stationed at the window to tell them when any of the doctors were approaching. End quote. Wow. So they just beat the crap out of her. Yep. Not Nellie, but the person that she interviewed. So that Bridget McGinnis person. That's so awful. Oh my gosh. And there were, she noted like four or five other cases of people being abused like that. And I didn't include the quote in here, but she did mention that at one point during her stay, they heard crying from the basement because a baby had been born at the island. And I can't remember what happened to it. I think they, I think someone came to the island to take it. Yeah, probably. But. Which is a blessing because they didn't murder it. Yeah. But she remarked like, what an awful way to like start your life in mm -hmm. the basement of an asylum. Well, and you know that that pregnancy was probably due to a rape. Possibly. Because she, she did note that some of the doctors made inappropriate advances. Mm -hmm. And at one point, a doctor and I think a couple nurses came into her room trying to get her to take drugs to help her sleep. Yeah. She, like, like laudanum. Uh, no. And... She finally took it to make them leave, but then she like forced herself to throw up afterwards, after they'd Good. left her alone. Good. But she interviewed other women who had said, you know, they were given laudanum and some other, I can't remember what it was called. It started with a C, but they were given it to the point where they became addicted. And then the nurses would torture them by refusing to give them it anymore. Perfect. Great. So the nurses would purposefully make them addicted. Yeah. They would torture some of the patients by figuring out what triggered them and then doing that thing continually until they would break for their own amusement. All in the name of science, quote unquote. Or boredom, I guess. Yeah. If I'm stuck if I'm stuck here, I need to be entertained. Yep. Well, if that's not mean girl status, I don't really know what yeah. it is. So two days after her release on October 9th, eighteen eighty seven. Nellie's experiences on Blackwell's Island were published in six parts in the New York world. Headlines included, quote, Inside the Madhouse, quote, Nellie Bly's experience in Blackwell's Island Asylum, quote, How the city's unfortunate wards are fed and treated, 
quote, the terrors of cold baths and cruel, unsympathetic nurses, and much more. Her first-hand accounts detailed the inhumane conditions, including the bitter cold of the building and lack of sufficient clothes to provide any sense of warmth, which led to disease and suffering. Nellie made a point of speaking to as many women at the asylum as she could while she was there. Of those that were sane, many of them were either immigrants that did not understand English, while mm -hmm. others were under the assumption they were going to be sent to a poorhouse, not an asylum. So they were tricked into being there. Yes. And it was mostly due to not understanding English. That or, you know, the powers that be just being like, well, just send them there. We don't want to deal with them. Yep. Great. A month after the expose was published, a grand jury investigation was led by New York Assistant District Attorney Vernon M. Davis, who, along with Nellie, traveled to the asylum to see the horrors themselves. By the time they arrived, it was too late. All but a couple of the patients that Nellie named in her articles had been transferred or released, and Blackwell had done everything they could to cover their tracks. Of course. Their efforts to hide what Nellie experienced were in vain, as the grand jury decided to award the Department of Public Charities and Corrections a $1 million increase, which is just over $29 million today. Wow in their budget to make the improvements originally proposed by Nellie. This increase allowed for better care of the mentally ill, hiring of more trained physicians and better supervision of the nurses and other healthcare staff, as well as new regulations to prevent overcrowding and fire hazards. Good. Did it actually work? Her investigation marked the end of Blackwell Island's asylum. Good. And one thing I also didn't note is while she was there, each of the rooms that the people were held in were locked individually by the nurses. And so she was speaking with one of the doctors and was like, what happens if there's a fire? They die. Because the nurses aren't going to be going up and down the hallways, unlocking all of these doors yeah. one by one. They're like, going to be leaving themselves. Like Yeah. Like all these women are going to burn to death in their cells. Yeah. Because, like, the windows are barred, so they can't get out. And she she almost gave herself away because she mentioned, why couldn't they have a system where there's only one lock at the end of the hall? And that's what they had. And the doctor kind of was, like, really, con like, confused for a second. And he's like, the only place that I've heard of that happening or anything like that being used is at Sing Sing Prison, which she had, mm. which she had visited. Okay. So he was a little like, so she almost gave herself away. And then she was kind of like, oh, shit, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But, yeah. But it's a good point. I mean, yeah, again, if you're individually locking people in their rooms, they're going to burn to death. Yep. yep. Nellie is often noted as one of the pioneers of investigative journalism, and her career continued to grow. She went on to investigate jails, such as Sing Sing. <laughs> Did she do Sing Sing before, though? Yes. Okay. But she went to other jails, too. She investigated baby-selling rackets and even the legislature, exposing bribery in the lobbyist system. LOL. Exposing it. Yeah. If people don't know. Oh, uh, don't worry. It doesn't happen now. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> One of the highlights of her career started November 14th, 1889, when she sailed from New York to beat the record of fictional character Phileas Fogg from Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. The New York World ran a contest and released daily articles as she circled the globe. The cool. person who guessed her time the closest would win a trip to Europe. And there were nearly a million entries. Wow. That's really big for tabloid, like a newspaper, let alone a tabloid. Nellie traveled on ships, trains, rickshaws, horses, sampans, which are those small boats they use in Asia. Cool. And burrows. As she traveled the final leg of her journey via train from San Francisco to New York, each of her stops were marked by fireworks and brass bands. Oh, fun. Her total time was 72 days, 6 hours, 11 minutes, and 14 seconds. The experience made her a household name, with Nellie Bly becoming a synonym for a successful female reporter. A book on her trip was later published in 1890, titled, quote, Nellie Bly's Book, around the world in 72 days, end quote. Nice. They're always so literal. They are. <laughs> in 1893, Nellie interviewed Emma Goldman, the radical anarchist and political activist who advocated for the poor, 
helped plot the unsuccessful assassination of industrialist Henry Clay Frick of the Carnegie Steel Company, and who was arrested for inciting a riot to the tune of some 3,000 unemployed workers in August of 1893 in Union Square. Dang, she was badass. Mm-hmm. Nellie later left the New York world after Pulitzer refused to acknowledge her numerous contributions to the paper or give her a raise. Sounds about right. Yep. Like, I'm world-renowned. No. Yep. <laughs> You're still a woman. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. In 1895, at the age of 31, she married millionaire Robert Seaman and retired from journalism, but only briefly. He would die eight years later in 1903, leaving her control of his extensive manufacturing company, the Ironclad Manufacturing Company, where wow. she patented several inventions for the oil industry that continue to be used to this day, including the first practical 55-gallon oil drum. Wow. You go, Nellie. Nellie returned to journalism almost as soon as she retired from it and interviewed <laughs> prominent figures like Susan B. Anthony in 1896 when she covered the women's suffrage movement and World War I. She worked up to her death at the age of 57 on January 27, 1922, from pneumonia. Aww. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1998. And that's the story of Nellie Bly. What a badass. Mm-hmm. All of this started with her, with an article, or sorry, a, a letter to. Yeah, a, a letter to the editor. Yep, that's so cool. <laughs> You're trash. <laughs> You're a fucking misogynist, and you're a piece of shit. You just made my life so much better by being an asshole. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-time depression sufferer, and caffeine fiend. In Not Before Coffee, I talk about everything from books, TV and movies to the more serious topics, like my own personal journey through life, struggling with various mental health issues. But not until I've had at least three mugs of the roasted bean and temporarily sated my long-term addiction. So, if you want to get to know more about me and all the ways I pass my time during the week, not including work, and you fancy the idea of hearing me talk about the things that interest me, New books, old books, TV and movies of all kinds, plus the weird and wonderful of my everyday, and how I got into writing about cars for a living despite not having a driving license, then tune in to Not Before Coffee. Found where all good podcasts are, so pretty much everywhere. So, this week's podcast plug is Not Before Coffee a podcast where our friend Ray, who loves coffee just as much, if not more than we do, discusses movies and TV shows she watches, talks about her battle with depression, and sort of whatever else strikes her fancy. She yes. also has a really fun accent. What's her accent? Uh, British. She's got a British accent. Okay. And I just really enjoy listening to her talk. Nice. That sounds like a nice podcast, especially if like it, it seems more conversational Yep. Those are nice to listen to. Yep. One of the episodes she did that kind of sticks out in my memory is she watched, um, she's been watching a lot of Disney Plus. Okay. Like a lot of like the older shows from kind of like when we were kids. Okay. And she was talking about Xenon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she watched the Xenon movies. And I was That's like, amazing. oh my God, I forgot about those. Zetus to penis. <laughs> Zetus to penis. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man. That sounds lovely. We should check it out. Yeah. And <laughs> I just can't Zetus to penis. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that all day. Everybody's going to be so annoyed with me. Well, I remember she had that like JoJo hairstyle where it was like her hair was mm -hmm. crimped, but it was in this really tight like side pony but it wasn't really a side pony it was like a yeah. side top of your head pony yeah i just remember too the the super white people dances with like the boy band pop star mm -hmm. just like the like i'm just gonna literally step side to side and bob my head and maybe like wave my arms. wave my arms around like and i'm I, like i'm playing I, a drum excellent dancer 
And they had so much silver and uh, mm-hmm. neon colored clothes. Stuff. Yep. Because future. Right. The future is holographic. Everything's metallic in the future. Future has glitter. <laughs> this week's question comes from Cindy of the Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. Okay. And she wants to know, is there a story you're looking forward to covering soon? Hmm. Which would probably be hard for you because you don't always know what's coming up next. Yeah, I don't always know. Sometimes I choose, but actually I'm interested in mom and dad's picks for their birthday month. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to give it away. So nice try, you know, trying to get us to spill the beans. But my beans are locked up. <laughs> They're on so lock. My beans are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't opened the can yet. It hasn't even been opened. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'm looking at my list. One that's coming up, I think, in March. Yeah, it's in March. I'm going to be talking about a geisha. Ooh. Ooh. Like a criminal like a criminal story with a geisha? Like a geisha that murders? No, it's going to talk about prostitution. Murder geisha. It's, it's called the tragic geisha, so it's going to be sad. Oh, damn! <laughs> I took everything back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know if she murdered people. I haven't investigated it yet. I just know it's going to be about a geisha. <laughs> Murder geishas. <laughs> that should be a movie. Murder geishas. Murder geishas. So what's something good you'd like to share something this week? Good. Something good is I am officially, officially done moving. I cleaned out my old apartment and it looked good. Uh, they had asked for an address to get my deposit back, which is super, super exciting. So I'm just waiting on that letter. You don't have to go to the post office and the Kmart to pick up your check. <laughs> no, no. Oh my gosh. I just, yeah, I love that, that my post. Okay. So if people don't know in my neighborhood in Minneapolis, my post office, my local post office was the one that got broken into during the Black Lives Matter riots. And it was a bunch of white kids. Yeah, following George Floyd. Yeah, following George Floyd's murder. A bunch of stupid white kids broke into the post office. And I'm pretty sure they stole my medication because I never got it. And so I had to call my pharmacy and I was like, so I'm like 90% sure my medication was stolen. (laughs) It was like antidepressants. I was like, you guys suck. But after that, they, they like destroyed the post office. So I didn't have one for a while. And um, there's this just awful Kmart that finally closed, I think last year and was empty. And so they put the post office in this Kmart (laughs) and it just looks, it just doesn't look like a fun place to work. And I feel really bad for them, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just really thankful that I didn't have to go inside the Kmart to get my check. But yeah, I I lived in a very interesting neighborhood. I liked it a lot. But it's nice to be here and to not worry about cleaning and getting stuff done. And you can just settle and relax with Willie and Smooch. Mm -hmm. What about you? What's a good thing this week? So what I'm about to say will probably be, some people probably won't be cool with it. I guess, is what I'm going to say. Ominous, okay. (laughs) I murdered a baby. I'm just kidding. (laughs) What's something great? People are going to hate this. (laughs) (laughs) So this is something that I had been talking about to Maddie offline. Basically, I've been really struggling to have an outlet recently. Like, because of my medication, I can't really drink. I had tried... CBD gummies, but they didn't really do anything for me. I don't do hard drugs. So, you know, I wasn't going to be like, I need some meth. (laughs) That's not my jam. You know what would work right now? Meth. Meth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please don't do meth. Please don't do meth, people, please. Yeah. But I started vaping CBD. How's it going? It's going really well, actually. Yeah. You know, Thomas, he researches the shit out of stuff before he invests in anything yep so when Which i mentioned what everybody really should do but yep. he's he's very on it yep so when i mentioned it to him 
at first he was like, why the hell would you do that? Yeah. And I was like, look, I just want to give it a try. I just want to try it, see if it works. If it doesn't, I'll just chalk it up as a failed experiment and try to find something else to do. Exactly. So he researched it. He found a company that had really good reviews that seemed to be doing all the right things. It's called okay. Pri- Primary Jane. And he ordered a pen and ordered some CBD oil. And I've been doing it this past week. I only use it like once a day. Yeah. I noticed a huge improvement. The oil he he bought specifically helps you focus. It improves your mood, but it also helps you relax. I haven't taken a single nap this week. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Normally in the afternoons, I am so Lethargic. physically tired that I have to take a nap. And it's usually around like four o'clock, four thirty. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken a single one this week. Wow! I actually cleaned my office for the first time in six months. That's so good. Like organized you just stuff. Motivated. Mm-mm. I actually went through all the like Girl Scout stuff. I'm a troop leader for a Girl Scout Daisy troop. I went through and I organized all the Daisy stuff that I've been putting off doing. I got some projects done that I've been putting off. Like, you know, I got the kids school pictures and hadn't put them in frames or anything yet because I was like, man, that's going to take a lot of work. Cause I have to take them down and I have to take the back of the frame off. Then I got to put it back up. And I did that yesterday. That's so great. So like, aside from, aside from just doing all these activities, how are you feeling in it? I feel like, really good. Kind of effortless. Doesn't seem much of a chore. No. And it's something where like, I was describing it to my friend, Emily, shout out Emily <laughs> and Ashley, shout out Ashley, that I feel, because one of my main concerns was, is it going to adversely interact with my medications that I take for my mental health, for my bipolar disorder and my depression? Yep. It, you always have to be wary of it. Yeah. So that was my main concern. Is this going to negatively interact with that and cause more problems than it solves? Mm-hmm. And honestly, at least for this first week, I feel like it's the piece I was missing to try to normalize myself. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so great. Mm-hmm. That's so great. And honestly, like I know vaping isn't ideal for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And especially now, you'll have to be more careful because mm-hmm. people who vape have a higher risk of bad interactions with COVID. But you've been so safe this whole time. You've been so careful. You, I think I, I'm really happy that Thomas is on board and helped research because he's really good at research. Yeah, he is. <laughs> like, like, honest he, to God, if you have something you want researched, Thomas is your guy. But I have, <laughs> like, seriously, he's helped me with so many other things before. Yeah. But I'm so happy because I know that's something you were thinking about. That's something you did not take lightly. No, because I've been thinking about it for weeks. Well, and, you know, I do have asthma. So it's Mm -hmm. something where, you know, that's another thing I have to consider is how is it going to affect my asthma? And it is something where I've been very mindful of my body and really kind of feeling myself out and seeing, okay, how do I feel immediately after I do this? And again, I only do it once a day because it lasts for about six hours something like that. So I usually would do it, you know, middle of the day. And it's not something I do in front of my kids. I I do it outside when I'm with Kona. So and it's something I don't do with inside of the house. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure it like, to other people, it probably looks kind of shady. But Uh, yeah, if if they go past your house, like yesterday, I was outside in like my gym shorts and a t shirt with my snow boots on and i'm just like chilling on the side of the house while kona's running around the yard like walmart chic so i was like yep that's me total white trash it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's fine you know what it is fine it's fine fine so yeah that's something i'm very grateful for that's great yeah i'm gonna stick with it and see how i feel because thomas is like just make sure it's not like a placebo thing where you're like putting too much weight into it than there actually is. And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep doing it like every day. And if it ends up being something where, yeah, it's probably a placebo thing, 
then maybe I'll stop doing it. But as of right now, I'm noticing more positives than negatives with this, and I'm going to keep doing it. And maybe I'll get out of COVID without having a complete mental breakdown. There you go. So, all right, shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcasts. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Right now, we are asking for listener questions. I did put out a request on Twitter yesterday. I just kind of whistled that Twitter yesterday. And uh, it was like, what was that? (laughs) Will Wheaton. uh, We did get some really good ones from some of our fellow podcasters that I'm excited to share with you and answer with you. Awesome. But it would be great to hear from actual listeners, not just our fellow podcasters, and see what kind of questions you'd like to have answered. Absolutely. A great way to support the show is by leaving a five-star rating and review. It's free, and it helps the show, helps us get discovered. And I'm going to read a review this week from our friend Carol Ann at, from the Boozed and Confused podcast, which is okay. a great podcast. She says, hysterical and informative, five stars. Who knew historical crime could be so entertaining and interesting? Lindsay and Madison have perfected a new take on crime and absolutely kill it each week. Aww. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. So nice. If you would like to support us financially, right now you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee. We're trying to raise $300 to purchase new audio equipment for 2021. Mm-hmm. And as of this recording, we have currently raised $224 towards that goal. Yay! So we That's are so really incredible. close. Thank you so much, everybody. So I'd like to personally thank Emily from Drink Drunk Dead, Kara, Christina from Crime Lore, Bernadette from Murderific, Mark, Indie Drop-In, Madeline from Crimatorium, Glaza from Classical Adventures for One, Brad, and Shannon and Christina from One Crime at a Time. I'm sorry, but like everybody was podcasters and then Brad. <laughs> Brad's the real MVP here. He Thank is you. the real MVP. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> podcast, 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 Brad. <laughs> I, put, I put them in like the order that they came in. So. I know, I know. It's just perfect though. Yeah. That really just made me so happy. And then... You can also support us on a monthly basis on Patreon. We did add a $1 tier this year, which gets you ad-free access to each new episode. Obviously, if you join at like the $5, $10, or $15 tiers, you get more benefits. And I wanted to shout out our first $10 patron, Erin. Hey, thank you. Hey, girl. So thank you, Erin. You can purchase merch on our Public store, the sale of new willy merch ends today january 27th but it is also the start of a new sale on t public which is runs from january 27th through the 29th Ooh, so you could still get your willy shirt on the 27th for 35 percent off nice and we did add four new designs mm-hmm. two of them are Lindsay or madison is my spirit animal and another one is I'm a Lindsay or I'm a Madison. So those are also some fine designs that you could enjoy should you so choose. Mm-hmm. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.